Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. I have to admit that oftentimes at the very beginning of the first song, I look look back and I'm like, are they coming? And then you're here by the end of the music. What's going on? Love to see you a little sooner. And did I just see... uh, Marisol is here. Hey, guys. Uh, Pastor Mari is here. What a good blessing to have. Um, For those of you who didn't know, she and her husband pastored this church um, for about five years. Um, Four. Four years. Um, Before, but it felt, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) They were here for quite a while, and a blessing we all know and love them. Um, So we're going to continue a message from last week. Now, last week we were talking about what is in a name. We were talking about God's names, and um, I want to continue with that. Um, One of the points I made last week that I need to make just as we're getting in, because some people will be new, is that in the Old Testament, names were descriptive. Um, Today, it's popular to name your kids something that sounds cool. And it might be that you, you saw their name in a, in a movie, whether they were the, it's the you know, character's name or the, the actress or actress's name. But we don't tend to think so much about what it means. I, I saw someone named Jezebel recently. Well, what does it mean? One with loose, with, without morals. They weren't looking at the meaning. They just thought it sounded good. Um, how many of you guys have a last name that's descriptive, like Smith. Well, they were named Smith because they were a Smith. How many of you recognize that we live in Holland, Michigan, and that there are a lot of Hollanders around here whose last name starts with Van? Ever, ever noticed that? I thought it was funny. When I grew up in this area, my last name is Van Der Klock, I would go someplace and I'd say Van Der Klock, and they would be like, uh, with a C or just K? I mean, like, people just knew. But I moved to Oklahoma, and I would say Vanderclock, and, and just that many syllables would freak them out. <laughs> and, and they weren't accustomed to the, the familiar Vander, and so the whole thing was just new. And I, I actually did an experiment one day. I went to the Tulsa phone book, which was bigger than the Grand Rapids phone book, but I opened it up, and there was like one and a half pages of Van, Van something. Then I looked in the Grand Rapids area phone book. There were like 37 pages of Van something. Well, what does that mean? It means Van means from, Der means the, and then clock, in my case, means whirlpool. But we have all these Vander Molen and Vander this and Van D and Van Dud. And what are they? They're a description. Because in the Old Testament, when you would give someone a name, you were describing something about them. And God, for that reason, has so many names because he is, how many recognize? We cannot describe God with one word. So the Bible says in Mark 13, 6, it says, many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. We established last week that just because someone says they're talking about God doesn't mean that they are. We discussed how some people have proposed that every religion is really worshiping the same God. 
But when we look at how they define God, when we look at the characteristics that they ascribe to God and find characteristics that are completely at odds with what God's word says he is, we have to recognize that is not the same God. If, if the Muslim religion says that anyone who follows Christ goes to hell, then obviously Allah and God are not one and the same because we recognize that Christ is part of the Godhead and he is God. Now, in the heart of a person, can they be seeking God and, and, and look in the wrong place? Yes, they can. But every religion is not speaking of the same God. And we looked at a bunch of different names for God last week, and uh, it, was, it was a good time. I am trying to remember. I have it written down where I stopped in the English service, the second service. I stopped somewhere else, and I'm not sure exactly where it was. But I know where we stopped. And we're going to step in with Jehovah, the next name that we want to look at. And we talked about several different names, and then we talked about Jehovah and how that meant Redeemer, and God actually calls that his name. And you hear it pronounced some places Jehovah, you hear it pronounced other places Yahweh, and you say, how can it be so different? Well, first of all, we're speaking English, they weren't. But also, because the Old Testament said, do not take the Lord's name in vain, the Hebrew um, scholars and all the rabbis, they took that very seriously, and they said, we're not exactly sure what it means to take his name in vain, so we're just not going to say it at all. So they quit pronouncing his name. And then they thought, well, if we spell it out, isn't that the same thing? So they took all the vowels out of it, and they would spell it without the vowels. So for thousands of years, no one said it, and no one wrote it. But we understand that it is, it is similar to that, that pronunciation, Yahweh, Jehovah, something along that lines. But we recognize God. It, what it means is he is our Redeemer. And God said, that is my name. But then we see Jehovah put with a bunch of other descriptors. And we looked in the previous weeks. We looked at Jehovah Rapha, our healer. We looked at Jehovah, um, just plain Jehovah, Jehovah Elohim, that he is the creator. That we looked at Jehovah Jireh, he is the provider. We looked at Jehovah Nisi, he's my banner of victory. And today we're going to start with Jehovah Ra. The Lord is my shepherd. And I tell you what, as I was reading this, I got excited about something. How many of you remember where I can find God is my shepherd in the Bible? Psalms 23. Now, I'm going to read Psalms 23 in the Passion Translation. Um, this is what it says. It says, Yahweh, so Jehovah, is my best friend and my shepherd. I always will have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me down or take me to an oasis of peace near the quiet brooks of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me the right path and he leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Even where your paths take me through the valley of the deepest darkness, fear will not conquer me for you already have. Your authority is my strength and my peace. Your, the comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. 
You become my delicious feast. Even when my enemies dare to fight, you anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my cup overflows. So why should I fear the future? Only goodness and tender love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be forever with you. Now we can just turn off the microphone and go home. That was enough. (laughs) Now, that is so good. Now, I'm going to look at something that I learned while I was studying this. We look at that translation. It says, Yahweh is my best friend and my shepherd. The word Ra, which means shepherd, was also used for best friend. Isn't that interesting? That, that a shepherd was the lover of the flock. When they described a shepherd, it wasn't just, oh, that's the manager of the sheep over there. But they saw a shepherd as a protector and someone who genuinely cared for the sheep. The shepherd was the sheep's best friend, greatest ally, most fierce protector. And we we mentioned last week that why are we studying God's name? Just so that we can win at trivia contests? Like, do we just want to know how many different names God has? No, we want to know God and his character. And then because we know it, we know what to expect of God in our life. My goal is not to equip us to win Bible trivia, although that'd be awesome. But what I want is for us to grow in our understanding of who God is for us, what God desires for us, what God has done for us and is doing for us. How does this apply to my life? Proverbs 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. See, he says, God is my shepherd, therefore... He will provide what I need. He is my shepherd. As we, as we read through, you know, we've, we've and I'm just going to encourage you to do this sometimes. Sometimes just read the Bible in a new translation. Because we've heard, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We've heard it in one translation so many times that when we hear the same points, just using different language, it, it speaks to us more. I want to go back and read the beginning of Proverbs 23 again. Yahweh is my best friend and my shepherd. I will I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace near the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me the right path, and he leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness. We talked last week about one of his names is Jehovah Sidkenu, God the righteous, my righteousness, your righteousness. He has given us his righteousness. 
And he says, that's where he leads me, in his paths of righteousness, so that I can bring honor to his name. Even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. Man. So being a Christian means we'll never, ever have a problem? No. But it means we recognize that he has us covered for the long haul. When, you know, how many of you guys in this, this weather, like, go through the debate, coat or no coat, jacket or no jacket? Because you're going from heated house out into the cold, into heated car, out into the cold, into heated office or heated plate, right? And you're back and forth, and you're like, do I want to get the coat on? Do I not want to get the coat on? Why? I know I'm going to have to go through the cold, but I also know I'm going to get to the warmth. Sometimes that path goes through. He says, it's the valley. But I don't, I'm not overcome by fear. Why? Because I reckon, you know what? I might get a little cold. Sometimes I, I choose, all right, I'm going to put the jacket on. Other times, I'm just kind of like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not worried. I'm not, I don't have to over-prepare because I already know I'm just going a few feet in the cold, and then I'll be warm again. 1 Peter 5.4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I, I, whenever... I see a Christian who is discouraged. I want, I want to magically help their perspective. This says that you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Our discouragement comes when we see our struggle, the walk from the car to the, to the building, as being permanent, and we imagine staying there. But God has a far more long-term perspective. He, we know, we know that he loves us, that he is taking care of us, that he is our shepherd. And to me, that was exciting to, to discover that him as a shepherd is also him as our friend. Next one, in Judges chapter 6, verse 64, it says, So Gideon built an altar to the Lord, and there he called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abysrites. So, Jehovah Shalom. There's a Hebrew word most of us have actually heard. Shalom, it means peace. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15 says, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We weren't promised a life where there would be no trouble, but we were promised that he would help us to overcome. 
Ephesians chapter 2, 13 through 14 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought nearby by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. He is our peace. And I love that he broke down the wall that separated us. When I, when I think of Christianity, what does it mean to be saved? So many times we think, well, being saved means I'm going to heaven, which is true. But functionally, being saved means no longer separated from God. It's not just about when I die, oh, then I'm no longer separated. It's I'm no longer separated now. And I continue to not be separated when I die, which means that at my death, which is the separation of my body, my spirit from my body, I will not be separated from the Lord. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This, this verse, when I picture salvation, I don't picture this future get out of hell card that I get to play later. Christianity is having the separation of, of sin removed. He says, where did I, lost my spot. He says, when Jesus spoke into the people, I'm the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Actually, that was not the one I was looking for. There's the one I was looking for. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. We are no longer separated. Romans 16.20, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. All right. If, if, if I had just walked up here and said, peace, how many of you would have thought of crushing? None of us. When, when we think of peace, in our English understanding of peace, we describe peace as the absence of conflict. And then there was this giant battle, and the whole place was just destroyed, and the bomb went off, and afterwards, there was peace. Why? Because everything was just destroyed and dead. But that's not the Greek or Hebrew understanding of the word peace. We would look at, at, at the scene after an explosion when, when everything had calmed down and say, it, there is peace there. They would look at that and say, no, because their understanding of peace means nothing missing, nothing broken. Not quiet. The Bible says that the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. See, God's understanding of peace includes stopping the enemy who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He is trying to mess with your life so that things would be missing and broken. And God says, I am the God of completeness, wholeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, 
That's what his peace looks like. And he says, in order to have that, I will crush Satan's head. But notice something. Where does Satan's head get crushed? Underneath God's feet? Let's read that again. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. And the grace of our Lord Jesus will be with you. Amen. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. Why? Because the author of destruction has been crushed under your feet. Talked about God's authority, and then he gives it to us. The Hebrew word for shalom is four letters. One is the letter for destruction. The second is a shepherd's hook. It's the letter for authority. The third is a nail or attached, and the last is chaos. So, the definition of shalom is to destroy the authority attached to chaos. Peace is to destroy the authority attached to chaos. Very different than our American perspective of peace is is just quiet. No. He is the God who destroys the authority attached to chaos. With what authority does he destroy the authority? His authority, which is above every other. And then, then that's a whole other message on how he has given us his authority. So you and I walk in the authority that we received from God to destroy the authority attached to chaos. The Bible describes his peace as the peace that passes understanding. You know what kind of peace is easy to understand? The kind of peace you have on a secluded beach with little birdies tweeting and everything is perfect. Right? There's the, there's the calm breeze and the waves are washing up. Everything about the situation is absolutely ideal. How could anyone be peaceful at that moment? Well, everyone could. That's easy to understand. A peace that passes understanding is that peace that, like Psalms 23 described, walks through the shadow of the valley of death and fears no evil. When the circumstances aren't ideal, but we're not shaken, we're not afraid, we're not overcome by that, the authority of chaos has not attached itself to us. For we have broken from the authority of that chaos. And we recognize that our peace doesn't come from the perfection in the situation that surrounds us. But in our knowledge of he who is behind us, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, I don't have to freak out. 
I can turn on the news and turn it back off again. I don't have to attach myself to the authority that, that is coming from all of that chaos. He is the God of peace. Jehovah Shalom. In my notes, I have next Jehovah Sidkenu, which we mentioned last week. So I'll just go briefly through it. The Lord, our righteousness, our right standing. Jeremiah 23, 6, in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live safely. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Righteousness is right standing with God. It's, it's the state of being without guilt. Maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like court cases have been in the news lately. We've got lots of different famous, and probably because they kind of piled up during the the COVID times and they weren't doing court cases, but it seems like every time when I do happen to look at the news, there's another court case that's in there, and people are waiting to discover, are they guilty or are they innocent? Imagine if that's you, and you know you blew it you know that technically you're guilty. Because this is what the Bible says about all of us. It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us. We blew it. But we have a lawyer, an advocate. That's literally the same word. The Bible says, that the Holy Spirit is our advocate. He's our lawyer. He's our representative. And he comes before that heavenly courtroom. And he says, yeah, they blew it. But someone else has come forward willing to take and pay for their guilt. And this person isn't guilty. Because if they were guilty, then they would need to pay for their own. But he's not. And he's paying for yours. And this righteousness, this right standing, this guiltlessness that he has then gets transferred to you. He pays the price. And you although you were guilty, suddenly aren't anymore. Not by any measure that matters ever again. You are righteous. Why? Because Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, gave you his righteousness, his right standing. Next, Jehovah Sabaoth. Psalms 24.10. Who is he 
this king of glory, the Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. I love this. He is glorious. He's the king of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of glory. I want to read a story. 2 Kings 6, 13 says, Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. And then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, and he went by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with him. Now remember, this is the prophet of God and his servant. And there's two of them. Easy elementary math. And the servant looks out and sees a vast army of men have shown up. And he comes back and he's like, oh my goodness, look, this is what's going on. We're surrounded. And the prophet of God says, there are more with us than there are with them. And Elijah prayed and said, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. The Bible describes Jehovah, the Lord of hosts. Jehovah Sabbath. We don't have a full view of everything that's going on. And God gives us this name because he wants to remind us. There's so much more. It's, it's so interesting that this servant, it says, it doesn't say that then the host came. It says his eyes were opened and he saw what was already there. Do you realize our situation doesn't look the way we think it does? We're so tempted to view our situation and think to ourselves, I'm alone, I'm rejected, I've been left behind, I've been forgotten, there's nobody else, nobody cares, nobody's here, nobody... But we serve Jehovah, the Lord of hosts. There is so much going on that we just don't see. We need to remember that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 1 John 4, 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Why does God tell us that he has yet another name? Not because it's trivia, but because he wants us to remember that this is the Lord of hosts, of great glory. He has hosts, armies on his side. Next, Jehovah Shammah. 
the Lord is there. What does that mean? The Lord is there. Ezekiel 48, verse 35, it says, The distance all around will be 1,800 cubits, and the name of the city from that time on will be, The Lord is there. What? Why does that matter? I want to take you to another Old Testament story for this. In 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 23, the king of Aram was attacking the Israelites, and it says, Meanwhile, the officials of the king of Aram advised, Their gods are the gods of the hills. That's why they were too strong for us. But if we fight them on the plains, surely we will be stronger than they. So this is, this is a group that was fighting against the Israelites. And they went and they fought against the Israelites and they lost. And their explanation was, well, they must serve the God of the hills. So next time, let's fight them in a valley where their God isn't, and then we can win. See, they thought that what mattered was the circumstances. Do we serve the God of church? You know what? If I, get, if I pray in church, <laughs> then it'll work. You know what? That was my problem is, is you know what? I, 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 I didn't pray in church, or I prayed too many rows back. I needed to be farther forward when I prayed. Or is he the God who is there? Where's there? There. There. I didn't pull that scripture out, but the Bible says that wherever we go, in the depths, we can't go too high, too low, too deep. Too, he is there. Why does it matter that he is the God who is there? Because we don't know where there is going to be. But we know he's there. We don't have to be. The, the king of Aram was sadly mistaken. If we continue in that story, they staged a battle in the valley because their deep strategy to beat Jehovah was fight in the valley. Maybe he's not there. Guess what? He was there. <laughs> Jehovah, we serve Jehovah who is omnipotent and omnipresent, which means he is everywhere. There is not a situation that we can be in. Like, oh man, I blew it. If only I had, oh, I'm in the wrong spot. God can't help me because my situation is in the wrong place. God's moving in Holland, but I live in Zealand. Oh. No. God is there. Granville, we don't know about that. Just teasing. God is there. We don't serve the God of the church who isn't the God of the bar. We don't serve the God of the church who isn't the God of the barrio or of this neighborhood or that neighborhood. We're not on the wrong side of the tracks for God to be there in our life. God didn't red zone the city. There are no red zones when God looks down on earth. 
He is the God. The Lord is there. Where? Wherever there is, there he is. That is our God. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? He's my helper. I need not be afraid. Doesn't matter what the situation is. Ultimately, nothing this world can throw at me can rob me of my relationship with God, of the eternity that awaits me with him. We're going to take the last few minutes and we're going to hit a few of the names in the New Testament. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. That word is theos, from which we get the term theology or theocracy, just meaning God. Philippians 2 verse 9 says, Therefore God, which is Theos, exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Now, this is, this is interesting because when Paul wrote this, he was potentially getting himself in trouble because he said that God's name, and he used that, that term, God, which, which was interchangeable with the ultimate authority, as in like emperor. And he said that God's name was higher than every other name. We've been talking about his names. Is there any name that, that someone else has that can come in and compete? No. No. Philippians 2.11 says, And every tongue shall acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, which is kurios, for the glory of God, Theos, the Father, which is Pater. Another name. Those are three of the top names in the New Testament, and they all appear in that one verse. God, Lord, Father. Father. We're going to close talking about that. Matthew 6, 9 says, Then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Why, why does the Bible describe him as our Father? Romans 8.15 says, The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought, you out, brought about your adoption to sonship 
And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Bible does not describe us as being slaves. In fact, it says specifically, we are not subservient slaves to God. That is not the relationship he desires to have with us. Could he have that? Yes, he could, if that's what he wanted. But that's not what he wanted. It says, you were adopted into sonship. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation again. Luke 11, 13, uh, 11, 11 through 13. Let me ask you this. Do you know of any father who would give his son a snake on a plate when he asked for a serving of fish? Of course not. Do you know of any father who would give his daughter a spider when she asked for an egg? Of course not. If imperfect parents know how to lovingly take care of their children and give them what they need, how much more will the perfect heavenly father give the Holy Spirit's fullness when his children ask him? Who is the Lord Almighty? Dad. Abba, Father. Some people have said that to correctly describe that isn't, is to say, Daddy, Father. Abba, it's, it's, it's in term of endearment. He desires that we see him as our heavenly Father, as someone who cares deeply for us. He says, if, if, how many of you guys are parents? How many of you have had that moment when you realize, I would give my life for this kid? All of us have. I see, I see a kid raising his mom's hand. <laughs> you didn't need to do that. She would have raised it on her own. This is what... God says, and if you, all of us, being imperfect, especially in comparison to God, would do all of that, how much more would he? So if you're here and you know that you have been adopted into God's family, you recognize that he is your father, that that wall of separation has been torn down by the forgiveness of sin, purchased by his death and resurrection. If you know that to be true in your life, I want to ask you, just raise your hand. If you're here, you'll see around, most hands are up because most of us have made that choice. If you never have, I want to give you that opportunity. If you say, I, I may have done so, but I have walked so far away, I want to rededicate my life to God, this is for you as well. We want to, to put God back in the throne of our life. If this is you, with every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand right now. I see a hand. I see another hand. There may be people watching online. If that's you, just raise your hand. I don't care if nobody's watching. God is. He's the Lord of hosts. There are angels watching. Now, repeat after me, everybody. Dear God, I believe that you are Jehovah maker of heaven and earth and that you also desire to be my father. 
I accept your forgiveness and the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross when he died and rose again. I accept your forgiveness and I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If, if that was you, I want to invite you. Come on down front. We have a gift I'd like to give you. Um, also, if you're online, send us a note. You can make a comment uh, or you can send us a private message. We have the same gift we'd like to give you. We can get it to you digitally. Please, don't forget to contact us. Mm-hmm.